is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. Now, it's not often that I do podcasts with people that I have never met before and indeed never spoken to before. But today I have a gentleman in front of me over Zoom called Steve Bishop and he has been introduced to me, I suppose, in a really peculiar way. So I did a podcast with John Ainsworth from Atos. I've known John for a long time and Steve got in touch with me to say that he'd listened to that podcast. And so I got to know him a bit over LinkedIn and invited him on the show today. He is the Chief Information Security Officer at part of Atos called Atos BPS. And he, I know, has got a wonderful history having served in the forces before. So I think this will be super inspirational, although I have a feeling he'd probably say that it won't be because he seems like the type of man who leads with humility. So, Steve, it's an absolute pleasure to see you today and to meet you finally after our little text engagements on LinkedIn. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yes. Yeah, very good. We've been backwards and forwards on the messenger and you were kindly telling me that you were reading my book, which is very thoughtful of you. So thank you for that. And You have heard the podcast before, and you'll know them, what I call the shake your pom-poms moment, which is about you being able to step out of that humility for a short time and celebrate some of your successes. So I'd love it if you'd share with us three proud moments from your history. And we'll start with the first one and dig into that if it's okay. I suppose the the first one is, is being the father I'm allowed to be. I've got two fantastic children I call them but they're now adults so Georgina and Ryan so being their father is, is the proudest time for me as I see them grow as I see them develop into adults and go into the big wide world on their own makes me immensely proud how old are your children now then so Georgina will be 23 and Ryan's 21 so you know we had we had a difficult time unfortunately my wife then their mother and I split up post a difficult time in my military life and so they, they, they grew up independently of me, although I pl- tried to play the biggest part I possibly could, which was challenging because I was stationed overseas at the time. But we've, we've done it. We've succeeded, you know, and the best, best friends. And they're obviously, uh, you know, I'm really, really proud of their successes. So, Oh, that's so lovely to hear. And I know this is something that my husband experienced with his first wife where, you know, when you, you split up and, and suddenly you're not a full time part of your children's life and you have to work super hard to keep that relationship strong so what were some of the things that you did to do that 
Oh, it's, it's really, really difficult. I mean, I, I could tell you some really sad stories about how difficult it was, but, you know, you get over those. You know, you've got to remember that tomorrow is a better day, you know, and, and if honest, the children need to understand that you love them, you care for them, even though you're not with them physically. And so because it was, a, I mean, goodness me, Ryan was only two when we split up. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously 19 years ago. To this day, we still use the same closing sentence we did when we first obviously went through this journey, which is, I always say to them, good night, love you, sweet dreams, sweetheart. You know, oh. and that's every every conversation we have, be it via technology or via telephone, or indeed when we when we part company. So, and that stayed with us, which has been lovely and absolutely, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's just, I take that as part of the things that I need to hear, even if they're not physically saying it, I always remember it if I go through a difficult time. You know, it's important to know that you're loved. Oh, do you know what? I mean, you say that like it's super easy, but knowing lots of people that I work with, men in their 50s, women in their 50s, who've never heard that before from their parents because it kind of wasn't the done thing. And then you being from a military background and I kind of started my career in the military. So I understand that for lots of people in that environment, that emotional element of us as humans isn't necessarily welcomed. So how have you been able to bring that into the relationships with your children, knowing that it, it might not have been the most acceptable thing? Well, basically, I'll go back to my childhood. You know, I, yes, my mother loves me. And yes, my father and I don't talk. We've had a difficult time. They were both in the military. I come from a military family. So for me, it was predestined to join the military when I was of age. So emotions weren't really spoken of or displayed. And, and something that you tend to mask. You know, I went to boarding yeah. school at a very young age because my father was in the military. As yes. a consequence of that, you know, you, you, you're, you're an infant, you're a child in an environment which is alien to you, surrounded by big kids and adults and mm. forced educational forums. So you couldn't hide. So what you did was you masked. And as a consequence, I didn't want my children to do that. I wanted them to know that it's okay to say, you know, I feel scared. You know, I feel alone. I feel unwanted unloved it's those types of things that are really important to know because then you can do something about it if you hide it people make assumptions you're okay oh, do you know it's so inspirational to hear that despite your experiences as a child you've made the decision to do the opposite rather than to just keep going with how you've been conditioned and I'm interested to know how that helps you as a leader to show up for your people and to be there for them so I'm I'm not a big rah-rah type person. I don't I find it quite difficult personally to be viewed upon as inspirational or a leader or anything like this. But for me, it's important that the team know you as a person. You know, that, that's the way we build strength in our teams, isn't it? By recognizing your strengths, your weaknesses, and talking about them and sharing them and making you the a, a human being, a person. So I've got a quite a very well, I say quite, I've got a very tight-knit team. You know, I've got two guys in my team I've known for 30 years because I've dragged them with me, you know. So both ex-military, he'll know who he is when he listens to this because he will listen to this and there will be an amount of Mickey taking afterwards, no doubt. <laughs> but that's part of it. You know, that's part of the humorous part of the team. The banter. The, the banter and the camaraderie. But it's really important. So, you know, we, we had last year the, the window of opportunity. I made clear to my team that I really needed to meet with them. So I invited them to my house. And we had a team weekend. They went off to the hotels in the window that we had post-lockdown or during the second lockdown or whatever, after second lockdown. So they all came up here and we funded the journeys ourselves. You know, we sat in the conservatory and we had 
mind maps here and we had wall charts there and we were talking about how the art of the possible. And that's about, you know, that's about making everybody feel like they have a voice, they have a place and you support them. There's no idea is a bad idea. And you just give them, give them the will and the way to, to express it. And they allow me to do the same, which is brilliant. Oh, that, I mean, that for me is inspirational. So, you know, I know it's difficult to hear that, but not a lot of people can describe these things in the way that you do with the vulnerability attached. So that's incredibly inspirational to hear a guy, as you said, before we came on air, I'm in my 50s. For you to be able to do that after the career that you've had is, is remarkable. Well, again, I, I don't class it as remarkable. It's just just normal to me. It's just who I am. It's who who I've been exposed to and experienced from. So, you know, don't get me wrong, there's been some pretty bad leaders and bullies and challenges mm. along the way. But, you know, sort of recognising the best bits and being able to consider opportunities to, to make use of those best bits is probably where I've I've got the most out of it. So, and, and recognising the bad bits and making sure that you don't sort of do any of those things as you become a, uh, as you go up the chain or become a leader or whatever it is you want to call it, that if you're influencing others, which you obviously are, we all influence others. And if you're able to recognise yeah. the bad bits and not emulate those, you're probably doing a good job. Yeah, as you've done as a father, so back to that proud moment of being a dad, you know, you're saying that you love your kids every day makes a massive difference. Yeah, the biggest yeah. issue I have in the coaching room are people not feeling loved. You know, and this could be a chief exec or it could be, you know, a housewife. But we all share that need to feel loved at some deep level. And often it's about hearing it as much as it is being shown it. So yeah. I'm really, really thrilled that you brought that to the floor today. And what about your second proud moment then? What's going uh, on? My second proudest moment, I, I suppose I had a massive fear of leaving the military. You know, I really did. And a funny story on having left the military is when I had to go and find a doctor's and a dentist and think, these things are on base. You know, I make an appointment, I'm in, I'm seen, I'm out, it's done. I'm cared for. So when I when I eventually came out in 2009, I, I went and found a doctor's surgery, a registered. That was quite simple. Found an NHS dentist, which was less simple, but found one nonetheless. They called me in for my, my initial checkup. Great. I went along, sat in the chair, had the test, got up, and I left, only to be chased by the receptionist because I hadn't paid. You got to pay. <laughs> pay. Pay for what? You only looked in my mouth, my teeth. That's it. You've done nothing. Why am I paying you? It was alien to me. So that was the first bit where I actually realized that all, all that, I suppose, that blanket around me in the military yeah. is no longer there. So I had to fend for myself, you know, which it sounds, sounds, you know, silly really that you a grown man or grown woman or grown person having experienced that having had the opportunities just to make a phone call to go and be seen by a normal practitioner dentist or doctor in civvy street is somewhat slightly different you know you've got to pay for these things and that was that was alien to me so it's quite quite a comedic moment for me to actually go oh i nearly could have been you know arrested for not paying my bills or you know (laughs) so uh, so obviously you learn that way but i suppose that that sense of sense of achievement is having survived Having come out, you know, aged 18 when I joined, left at 40, that's 22 years of my life and lots and lots of good and somewhat challenging experiences that, you know, I've come out and I've survived Civvy Street. Great. It's the best thing I've ever done. But every, I think everybody probably would say the same. It's the best thing you ever do. But I'll never forget the experiences I had and I'll never, ever, you know, want to forget those experiences, be them good, bad or indifferent. But, you know, recognising that, hey, I can be a Civvy is great. That's, a, that's an achievement. 
it's a huge change. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and as I said before, you know, change is that constant, isn't it? You, you've got to adapt and adopt and overcome, you know. It's, 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 a, it's a cliche, but it's true. Yeah, totally. If you don't, then you'll struggle. And, you know, that's when your network needs to support you. And you need to share with your network, be that family, friends or others, that where you don't think you can sort of do it on your own, that you're able to articulate that to them in a way that they can say, I recognise you need help and support. And that help and support can be anything from, you know, you need to pay for your dental appointments to, you know what, we need to go and get you some help here. So, yeah. and the last one for me was I left school with nothing. Honestly, I was absolutely rubbish, you know, in terms of school. I was good at sport. You wouldn't believe it, but obviously being follically challenged, I was pretty good <laughs> with the girls too, but but ed- educationally, absolutely rubbish. I hated, I hated Latin as a kid at boarding school. You know, those types of things scared me oh, ridiculously. Let's say left school with no qualifications whatsoever. Thankfully, it was enough for me to pass an entrance exam to the, into the military and went through my military career without, again, any qualification. Obviously, you've got your, your professional training, but... No, no O levels or A levels or anything like that. And then, age forty nine, I decided that I wanted to try further education. So, I, I spoke to Northumbria University and I said, "Look, you know, this is the job that I do. Is there any path for me to go and do education?" They said, "Well, actually, we've got a master's degree in cybersecurity." I'm thinking, I didn't get a CSC. How on earth? And they basically took me through the journey through the MSc, and I thought, you know what, I want to have a go at this, and I graduated. With oh, wow. With a fantastic cohort. So I've got an MSc in cybersecurity. And I say that the, the actual experience of university probably isn't as described as my daughter explains university to me, but the, my experience of university was, uh, was absolutely wonderful. And I say that the community that we built, the cohort that we were, we still communicate today. In fact, last night on Signal and LinkedIn, and we're always chatting, always talking. It's a fantastic. So that's probably in the you know, one, two, and three. That's probably my one of those successes that... I'm very, very proud of. So, yeah, and rightly so. And and I'm interested to dig in a little bit more there in terms of you made the transition from military into kind of corporate organisations, and did that without any education. Did that hold you back in any way? When was that one of the drivers for going to do the MSc? So the the driver was purely personal. I I felt that I wasn't good enough, and that I needed to have that badge, if you will. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm talking with my peers and they've got these acronyms after their names and, and, and I haven't. And, I, and I, whether, I wonder whether I'm being judged because of it. And I was being judged, but not by them, but by me. By you, yeah. So, you know, ultimately, you, you know, you talk about your shekels, you know, and, and yes. that's exactly one of those shekels that I have. And I, I have this ridiculous imposter syndrome, which says mm. you're not good enough. And that stems back to, to childhood, to the early days in the military and all those times when you are put under pressure and you think I am being persecuted here for who I am and what I'm doing and it's wrong yes you know? and I suppose age is like <laughs> that great experience pot isn't it that says you know what I don't have to answer to anybody I answer to me and and that's the reason why I went and did the degree because I was answering to me I wanted to, 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 to quiet and down that inner imposter yeah. that was challenging me for who and what I was but and has it done that no I was going to say to, to go uh, no, in entirety. <laughs> of course not. No, because I think that's that's life, isn't it? You know. Yeah. We have doubt. You know. Yes, we have confidence. You know, but I tend to mask it generally. Mm. If I'm feeling insecure, if I'm feeling at risk, or if I'm feeling not worthy, confidence will take control. Yeah. You know, 
I suppose having read that the, the chimp paradox, those three elements of the brain, you know, that chimp is right up front. You know, in fact, the colleague I was talking to you about earlier that we've known each other for 30 years, we laugh and joke because we both wear our hearts on our sleeve. We both are passionate about what we do. We try to do the right things all the time. Mm-hmm. We try to make the best of a bad deal. But sometimes when you're challenged by colleagues or by you know, experience or, or environment, then that chimp kicks off. That chimp wants to respond. And, you know, if you let it, it could be detrimental. Which is why he and I, when we talk, and he gets a little bit agitated or excitable in language, and I do the same. And bear in mind, we've both got military backgrounds, so we can can share. (laughs) Get a bit blue. (laughs) We can can be kind kind of abrupt. Both of us laugh and joke and go, sorry, mate, that was the chimp speaking. You know, so again, having somebody to be able to share that with yeah. Is is brilliant because it helps us understand us. That was interesting because having prepared for this, and I'm quite a prepare if I'm honest. So if you look behind the screens, I've got post-it notes and goodness knows what and everything else. And goodness me, I've looked at the podcast, I've heard those, I've seen the questions you asked me. Right, I'm going to prepare. So I've, I've done I've done my my preparation, and whilst doing that, it was quite interesting because you know I read a couple of books a number of years ago by the Brazilian guy Paulo Coelho. Now, I'm not a religious person, but he's more of a philosophical writer. And he, he talks about, and he's got uh, The Alchemist. Yeah. It's one of those books. And that's the pursuance of, you know, your dreams by listening to your heart, not your head and others. So listen to what it says in here, because generally that's going to be right. So your heart yeah. is, the, is, the, is the muscle that does the doing and tells you how to do it. But your heart tells you what you really need to be doing. And I, and I, I like that type of book, you know, and there's the others I think was, the Pilgrim and I can't remember the third one now. I think it was 11 Minutes. And that 11 Minutes was about, I think it was about a prostitute learning how to be the best person she could be through the experiences, the sexual experiences she was having. I mean, it's quite quite a strange subject to talk about. And it's going, but it's making the most of your experiences to help you grow and help you listen to you as a person. And I suppose really that's where, where I quite I quite like to think of myself that I'll take time out and think about it. How am I feeling? Which only recently. A friend of mine gave me the journal. So it's basically a book. I don't know if you've seen it advertised, but it's a men's journal, if you will. And ask you some key questions for your daily, daily life. Yeah. How are you feeling? And it's quite difficult to sometimes answer. You know, it's, if you take that, that mindful time, whatever that will be for you, and, and look at the questions they're asking and actually try and answer them as honestly as you can, it can be quite difficult, it can be quite awkward, if you will. It's interesting that you've just used the words as honestly as you can, because what I often find with people who journal, and it's something that I encourage a lot to try and get into that inner wisdom, that heart, rather than the inner critic that is holding us back. But often in a journaling experience, what people will tend to do is answer it in a way that there's someone might be reading it. Who am I trying to please? The teacher might be looking at what I'm writing here. So that idea of really being honest with yourself rather than coming at it from a place of who do I need to be to impress that's the key but people really struggle to do that yeah it's it's because they're in a critic yeah yeah absolutely as I said you know I I have the imposter syndrome that says well why are you in the role you're in why is it you and not somebody else you know and don't get me wrong the role I am is very very challenging and again for anybody listening this is has similar kind of you know executive roles then you'll recognise 
that every day is a challenge. It's not just a challenge in order to do your job. It's a challenge in order to maintain education, knowledge, team, motivation, communication, you know, the levels of, of, of energy that you need to get through a day, you know, you know, come the weekend, it's like decompressing <laughs> time, you know, and try and try and relax and trying to find something that does that for you. Mm. I mean, interesting enough, when I talk about the journal, it talks about mindfulness and taking time to be mindful. All these words are alien to me at the moment. I'm just learning about this. And I'm, I say in my 50s. And what's been the, the drive behind this curiosity that you've got? I think it's because I recognise stress in others, but I don't recognise it in me. I think that when others recognise that stress in me and they communicate that to me, that I struggle to actually recognise it. So I'm trying to understand. I do get stressed. We all get stressed. It's, it's, it's a natural human reaction, isn't That's it? True. But how we understand how that plays out in us as humans and that's in, in our body, in our communication, in the way we behave, I don't recognise at the moment. So. Again, because probably because of my history, because of my experiences. So I want to. Well, your, yeah, your career, I guess, is all about resilience, isn't it? Your forces career and that idea of whatever is going on on the inside, you've just got to keep showing up. Absolutely. And so let's talk about that part of your career then and some of the things that it's taught you along the way. So, so for me, we've lived through the last 30 years of conflict, unbeknownst to the world in history. You know, they've been skirmishes all over the place. And some of them have been quite challenging, some of them have been less so. But, you know, having seen and experienced the things I've seen and experienced, you know, which I'm not going to go into because we, you know, we, we know what those things are for everybody, irrespective of what trade or profession you were in the military, you still have some semblance of exposure to it. So for me, it's... Uh, you know, I want to live the life I can live because I know that I may not be there for lunch. And having had experience of that, of being sat at breakfast, you know, in a theatre of war with somebody who didn't turn up for lunch, puts it in perspective. Yeah. You know? So if nobody dies, that's a good day. And you can, you can translate that into if nobody stamps their feet, cries, res resigns, or, you know, gets overexcited and angry, that's a good day. And if you can help that good day, are you doing doing a good job? The contrast there, though, is vast in terms of the definition of a good day. You know, a, a good day is someone hasn't lost their life versus someone hasn't had a drama. Yeah. It's a huge contrast. So how do you cope with that? I, I don't know. I mean, I was ex-military police. So in order for me to have a good day, someone had to have a bad one, you know, yeah. because otherwise I wasn't doing what I was trained to do. And I suppose, how do you deal with that? How do you rationalise that? Well, if honest, I, you just do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think there's a prescription of you must do A, B and C in order to, to work out. It's just life. It's just the way it is. It's incredible. It's incredible. The level of patience that I detect from you, because you could go along, you could go along the lines of, you know, oh, for goodness sake, you know, the things I've experienced in the past versus what I'm seeing and, and hearing now, the contrast is vast. So but I you're not like that. I spoke earlier on about my ex-military colleagues and friends who, if and when they listen to this, would be rolling around on the floor going, you just described Steve as being patient. <laughs> he is not patient. No. <laughs> no. And I'm not. I'm not patient. I suppose... 
with, with certain things, we're all patient. But with other things, I'm absolutely not patient. So you've given my, my friends and ex-colleagues an opportunity to roll around the floor <laughs> laughing and, and for me to buy a beer afterwards. So. <laughs> I love that. I'm the least patient person on the planet, so we're in good company. <laughs> now, tell me about adversity. So, you know, not necessarily linked to the military, because I'm sure there was lots of adversity there. But for you, perhaps in your corporate career, and you talked about obviously not being with your children, there must be lots of times when you've really faced into challenges and how have they helped you to get stronger? So as I say, I talked about when I first left the fear of leaving, you know, because it's, it's a safe environment, although it's not a safe environment in the true sense of the no. word at all, but it's a safe because you're surrounded by people who know you, they know what you are, what you're capable of, your strengths, your weaknesses, and you know theirs. So we have a saying, you know, it doesn't matter what uniform they wear, by virtue of them wearing one, they've got your back. Yeah. Civvy Street isn't like that. You know, it's, it's you know, I, I was fortunate enough to go and work for Rolls-Royce when I left the military. And Rolls-Royce is an absolutely wonderful family, family-orientated business. They're wonderful people. I'm still in touch with the people that I worked with then. You know, and I was fortunate enough to go back to them for, for the second round of, of, of opportunity when I decided for my own my own will, that I was going to leave and explore other opportunities. But I eventually went back to Rolls-Royce again. And it was, it was only because of my, my fantastic boss at the time saying, well, your next seat is the one I'm sat in and I'm not leaving. So what are you going to do? And I said, well, I've still got ambition. I'm going to have to move. Yeah. And he's fully supportive of that. And, you know, we still, we're still friends. We still talk. You know, in fact, every Christmas, well, post prior to COVID rather, we would, we'd go and meet up in the in the, in, the, in the pub and have a few beers on, uh, you know, before Christmas and, and basically just maintain the friendship and the relationship. And that's with the whole team in Rolls-Royce. So it was a fantastic, fantastic organisation. But I went through, after the demise of my first marriage, I jumped into a second one, as you tend to do. You know, uh, everyone wants to be loved and wants to love. So mm-hmm. that happened. And she was a wonderful woman. But we were not compatible. And it took us seven years to work this out. And, uh, and unfortunately, it, it put me into another opportunity of having to drag myself back to the financial start line. You know, so that, that was challenging. And again, all, all the fear of, of how on earth I'm going to pay my bills, how on earth am I going to put my kids through school if they want to go, how am I, how am I going to buy this, how am I going to buy a house? And, and that's, that's stressful, you know. But I did it. I've done it. And we can all do it. Because, you know, it's just what you got to do stressful but it's courageous because you know you can be trapped in a situation that isn't serving you but because of all of those reasons why you don't want to leave like the finances or you know how do I pay for my kids and all of that type of thing you can stay and I meet people every day who are staying in relationships because of all of the challenges of leaving but you were brave enough to do that not just relationship but occupation as well you know, yeah. because we, as we sit here in our homes, which have become our workplaces, you know, this Stockholm syndrome, you know, affects us all because you now as we try and transition from COVID back to what we're going to create as normal, i.e. the perception of going back to a workplace, I'm sitting there thinking, do I want to? Yes, I'd love to see the people, but I've got everything I need in my, my home office yeah. here, you know, and I'm fortunate enough to have the space to be able to work from home. Others don't, and I appreciate that. But fundamentally, I can do my work from home. I can communicate with my colleagues, my customer. Do I need to go back? 
and, and I find myself questioning whether actually I want to go back. Yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know what that is. Is that fear? It's not fear about COVID at all. You know, we're all going to get inoculated, and hopefully that, that'll be fine. That'll be the end of it. But you know, so so what's making me have these thoughts? It's actually the fear of. I suppose the fear of knowing how busy I am today and then fearing that I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do because I'm not going to have the time. I'm going to spend an hour or so on the commuting. Yeah. Exactly. That's going to eat into my daily activity. Therefore, I'm not going to be able to do what I've been doing these last, goodness me, over a year. So I suppose there's an element of that. But also, will it be the same? Mm. You know, there's a fear of it not being the same because the same colleagues aren't going to be there at the same times that you're there. So, you know, the laugh and the joke that you have and, you know, the opportunity to have that you know, that coffee chat and catch up, you know, you're going to lose that window because we yes. have that window in this environment, in this with this technology. So, I don't know. I guess what that demonstrates is an adaptation to the here and now. So, you know, sort of 12 months ago, we were all worrying about what it was going to be like to work from home full time. We're now adapted to that. And now it's, oh, do I want to go and go through the change curve again and have to adapt to whatever the future is exactly that exactly that yeah yeah it's it's change isn't it we said before it's 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 the only constant is change but you know if you can influence that change then then you 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 try to don't you to your benefit and you are the most in-demand man i think i've ever had on the podcast (laughs) because i can just constantly hear your phone like emails dropping into your phone i mean oh my god it's constant. It is. It is constant. And unfortunately, even though I'm, I'm supposed to be on holiday for this week, you know, we've got challenges, business-related challenges that need my support. Yeah. My team needs my support as well. So, you know, if I was on a beach in Barbados, it wouldn't make any difference. The phone would still be going. The emails would still be ranking up. And <laughs> I'd have to come back and spend half a day going through those. But I think that's, that's just life, though, isn't it, nowadays? You know, in fact, it's quite makes me laugh because when I first joined Atos, which is nearly seven years ago, one of the things that really drew me to the organisation was this, this strap line that says, Atos, zero email. And if John's going <laughs> to... And, and, and you know... So Atos, John's is bad. So that strap line is zero email. I'm still looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, it's an aspiration, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you've talked to me about first marriage. you talked to me about second marriage. Where are you now in the kind of the whole love bit? Oh, goodness me. So I have an absolutely wonderful lady called Wendy, who I met in Dubai. Actually, again, we talk about resilience, we talk about me having to sort of, not so much reinvent myself, but start again. And uh, I was adamant that I'd never start again. I'd never do that that thing again of relationships. And I had the fortune to be in Dubai at the time, prior to going out to uh, Afghanistan, but as a civilian, which was a ridiculous thing for me to do because the bravado and the, the perception of me as an individual being brave and ex-military and able to deal with such things was misplaced. I went out to Afghanistan as a civilian. I flew into Kabul on a civilian aircraft, and I went to do a, a security role for an American logistics company and realized that, hold on a second, I don't have my friends around me. I don't have a big gun. I have no combat body armor. I have a T-shirt and a soft skin vehicle, i.e. a normal civilian vehicle, and I'm driving through Kabul. You know, and, I'm, and I'm flying civil air, you know, to Terragundi and Herat and places like that in, in Afghanistan. And yeah, I, I, and it came to, I, I did five, four and a half, five months there. And uh, I woke up one morning having had a rather noisy, uh, noisy night with 
insurgent activity. And I, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to be this lucky you know, forever. I need to bail out. And that was, that was a catalyst for me to, to drag myself back to the financial start line. That's the reason why I went, was to, to offset the consequence and cost of second departure. But prior to going out there, I was in Dubai Mall watching the Fountains Water Show. And there was a young lady sat there who I struck a conversation with. And we've been together ever since. She's wonderful. And she's not allowed to hear this, though, because you know, that's me cooking dinner all night, every night. So I love that. So third time lucky. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But she, she, it's quite funny because we talk about cycles as well, don't we? Destructive cycles. Mm-hmm. Now, my first relationship and the mother of my children wonderful wonderful woman that was down to the experiences I was going through at the time and not being able to communicate as I communicate now you know I wasn't I'm not the same person I was all those years ago you know I've matured I've grown up I think so I wasn't able to share how I was feeling in a way and my behaviors would manifest themselves in a way that my stress was expressed but not in a way not not in such a positive way that you can actually say you know what I understand you're feeling hurt or you're feeling pain or you're feeling challenged, but I'm your partner. I'm here to help you. You know, don't, don't fight me. We're actually, we do though, don't we? We tend to be. Oh, people we love the most. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're the ones that suffer, you know, unfortunately. And, and, and to be fair, you know, she made the right decision then. And, and, you know, we're still friends. We still talk whenever the opportunity is there, you know, and I wish her all the very best, but that resilience that starting again bit has been the cycle of my life, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, for me, is probably the thing that I, I don't necessarily want to break, but I don't, I, I understand where I go wrong, you know? Am I picking the wrong people? Am I socialising the wrong people? Am I being influenced by the wrong people? You know, am I influencing the wrong people? It's those types of questions. And I think as I get older, I start to recognise there's a junction here yeah don't race out to it think about it step behind the line check left and right and then decide well actually what does right take you where does left take you and do you want to go down those paths and i think that age is that gift that is experience isn't it so you can make the right choices hopefully yeah and it's interesting when you look at that through the lens of abandonment often children who go to boarding school create this cycle that you've just described because there isn't ever that sense of belonging. And so when I do belong somewhere, I've got to destroy it. Well, I'm quite relieved that you haven't asked me, well, Steve, where are you from? Because I'm not Steve, where are you from? Well, nowhere. You know, I, you know, home is wherever I am. Yeah. I can't say I'm from here. I mean, I was born in Gloucester. Seven, eight weeks later, we were in Norway. You know, then after Germany, and that's just where my children were born, yeah. you know. You talk about abandonment and, and boarding school for me was that abandonment. Mm. And it's been challenging. I mean, my mother and I, we have a relationship. You know, it's not as close as my mother wants it to be. Yeah. And it can't be as close as she wants it to be because we've grown up independently. You know, my father and I haven't spoken to each other in things for over three years now. And again, that stems from me challenging him about his behaviours when mm. I was a child and about his behaviours to my children. You know, you know, and I, you know, I regret the fact that we don't talk. You know, he's my father. I do love him. I've put the olive branch out there. It hasn't been accepted. And therefore, as a consequence, in my head, I say, look, I've done what I can. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all, whether we like it or not, need to move on. 
you know, life's a finite period, period of time and you've got to make the most of it. And if somebody doesn't want what you've got, move on. Yeah, oh, that's remarkable. It's remarkable. And, and that cycle, while at one level it can be destructive, on another, it is helping you to adapt and move on. So there's a real positive element to it as well. Yeah, it doesn't feel positive at the time, does it? I mean, you know, reflection is wonderful if you get the opportunity to do it. And that's why I think the journey for me around this mindfulness and this, you know, looking at me as an individual and seeing how I take and listening to me, which, you know, is, you know, I've not done quite overtly as I'm doing currently before. So, you know, it's it's interesting. And, and some of the things I don't like. Yeah, I mean, you know, you wouldn't be human if exactly. you liked everything about you. Yeah. Oh, do you know, it is like a breath of fresh air talking to you. It really is. There is so seldom an opportunity for a man in his 50s to be as vulnerable as you are being on this podcast. And yeah, I we think, don't tell anyone, though. No, we'll just tell the, you know, several hundred people that listen, but never mind <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, vulnerability. It's inspiring. Well, that, yeah, but that, yeah, yeah. yeah you'll, you'll, you'll say that, but that, that vulnerability is not something that, you know, even now I'm comfortable with. And, and, and everybody else will probably, when I say everybody else, because some people will obviously be more open to that than others. But, you know, when I talk to my ex military colleagues and friends, you know, we're all the same. We are, we're resilient people. And, you know, sometimes you've got to, you've got to crack the nut to get inside mm-hmm. the nut to realise, you know, there's something you can do to help them feel better about themselves and, and, and build that confidence, that strength, that resilience. So yeah, that's where I'm in my life at the moment. It's brilliant. And it is remarkable. And I can't wait to see what you're going to say for the killer question. So I always ask it towards the end of the podcast, what you believe is the absolute secret to success? This is the question that I've been dreading. Because what is success? You know, for me, what is success? Well, as I said before, it's, it's making it to lunch. You know, for me, it's it's having those people that I love, love me back. Mm. So what do we take from that? So living in the moment. Yeah. And loving and being loved. Absolutely, yeah. We, we all crave that, don't we? You know, we should all crave that. And again, that's not just love of the, you know, the family, so maybe not so much love, but respect, support, mm-hmm. openness, transparency, honesty, call it whatever you want. But, you know, the respect to allow other people the voice they have and to share their thoughts with you, you know, is, is key to, to, to that, that collaboration and that community and that, that feeling of self-worth, isn't it? You know? yeah. And supporting others that may not feel that they have that voice, giving them the opportunity. And that's another reason why I love the workplace that I'm in. Because we've got some challenging characters, don't get me wrong, but you know we've also got some fantastic people, and we've got some fantastic young people. You know, it's the youngsters that are actually inspiring me. Mm. You know, their adaptation to technology, the, the speed of learning, all those things. I think, goodness me, just give me that USB and just stab it into my forehead. I want to take <laughs> it. You know, because that's the nature of life today. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're the mirror for them, though. This is the thing, is the way that you show up, and I'm going to say it again, is going to be inspirational for people. So own that I'm an inspiration <laughs> label. <laughs> hey, consider it owned. 
That can be the new affirmation of the day. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. I I really do feel like whoever takes time to listen to this podcast is going to be, what's the word? They're going to flourish as a result of it because of how open and honest you've been today. And you can shake your head all you like there. But that is the truth. Okay. I look forward to it and I hope it's been a benefit to others. You've been amazing. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode and do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.